Amen. 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 I tell you what, it has been a good day. Great worship. You know, I know sometimes some of us think that those newer songs can be repetitive, and sometimes they are. But I think sometimes we need to think of it from up there looking down here instead of down here looking up there. Because how many times could you ever say, how great is my God, and it'd be too much? <laughs> and I think what you got to do is think about not what it does for us, which it is awesome to be in the zone, in his presence, and to be totally consumed with who he is. That's what this is about. But just think how it must be to him when a person who is in his spirit convinced with all his heart, with all his soul, that God is great. And he's singing it genuinely and sincerely. I don't think you can sing that too long. Amen. And I believe God smiles on the church. That doesn't count time. They just want to be in his presence and know he's with us. Amen. And I don't know about you, when you get along with God, there ain't nothing can compare with him when he speaks and he moves. And he's with you. And so this morning, I don't know, we all took a good start. I don't know about you, but I, I've been touched already. And I want you to turn with me to a sermon that has been a blessing of a great week of study and blessing to me. Um, Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at Daniel's interpretation of a dream that was given to a pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar. Y'all all have heard old Nebi. Pagan king, he was the one who led Babylon and conquered them and took David, I mean Daniel and some of those Hebrew boys into captivity as Jerusalem was destroyed by his hand. Well, all he did, God gave him a dream that gives us a revelation, a preview of all future history from that day on from him, world history, and how God is going to work out things. How many of you sometimes are worried that maybe what's happening ain't supposed to happen? It's out of control. Well, I'm here today to tell you that nothing is happening that God ain't in control of. Amen? And this sermon is going to give you some great encouragement that God's letting it all happen exactly the way he said it would. If you look here with me, we're going to start reading in verse 26 of chapter 2. What's happened? Nebuchadnezzar, who is king of kings, lord of lords, he's got a world empire. He's got a kingdom that is worldwide. He starts having these dreams, and he's troubled. He knows that these dreams are not just a, a normal dream. They're not only repetitive, but they're revealing things that he can't figure out. And he's troubled, so he calls in all these wise men, all these astrologers, all these people who are on his payroll to tell him things like this. And they said, tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. He said, no, if I do that, you I want to make sure you tell me the truth. If you've got the ability to tell me the interpretation, then you'll have the ability to tell me the dream. <laughs> and they all, nobody's ever asked this of a king. Nobody could tell this but God. <laughs> and so he says, well, if you don't tell me, I'm going to start killing every one of you and burning you and turning your house into an ash heap. And so he does because he's king. He's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. And Daniel's like, what's going on? He said, Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream. No one can interpret it, so he's killing all the wise men. 
So Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, King, he said, just hold up a minute. Give me some time. For there is a God in heaven who can interpret your dream. He goes and he gets with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, we got to get with God because <laughs> we got to be able to interpret this dream. And God speaks the secret into Daniel's life that would tell Daniel the whole future of the world history of human government. And if you look here with me, we're going to start reading. That's just to get you up to here. If you want to know it and go read it, go read chapter 2 up to this point when you get home. It'll help bring more life and understanding into this scripture. But I want to start in verse 26. He's going to stand before the king now. He's been told the dream, and he's been given the interpretation. And Daniel, the great prophet of God, is going to speak to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar? Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers, cannot declare this to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be the latter days, the end times. Your dream and the vision of your head upon your bed were these. And friends, I want to tell you something. Have you ever had a dream and somebody else could come and tell you exactly what you dreamed? That's as detailed as this. See, God wants us to know this morning that this was not just a dream, that this was a message from Him, only a man from God that God spoke to, that heard from God could do what Daniel did. He not only gave him an interpretation, he told him a dream that he'd had. And listen to what Daniel says. When you get to verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed that would come to pass after this, meaning this will happen after your kingdom. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been to reveal to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king. He's meaning for the Jews, for themselves. And that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image of its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. That stone is the rock of Jesus Christ himself. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the goal, which represents all of human government throughout the history of this world, as it will be. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This morning as we look at this, how many of you has ever thought about this. Men throughout history from everywhere have been asking themselves, 
What is the world coming to? How are things going to be worked out in the end? And friends, I don't know about you, but that question's been on my mind lately. <laughs> what is all this stuff happening like this for? And friends, I don't know if you believe this or not, but the Bible speaks prophecy. It speaks accurate information of how things will be, and many of it has been filled so much if you was to take time to study it so accurately that it would curl the hairs on your head, especially if you ain't saved. But when you look at Daniel, Daniel is one of the most important books of prophecy in the whole Bible. And particularly what we're looking at this morning when it comes to end-time prophecy, the book of Daniel is one of the great sections of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, the book of Daniel is the whole foundation of what Jesus spoke in the Olivet Discourse in chapter 24 of the book of Matthew when he was asked by his disciples this question. When will be your coming and when will it be the end of the world? And Jesus began to teach. And within that, he did something that he even named Daniel by name. He said, it will not come until this gospel is preached and to the whole world, everywhere. That's the church's responsibility. The church is not mentioned in Daniel. The church was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets. It wasn't mentioned, it wasn't brought to our revelation until Jesus came in the New Testament. And so the book of Daniel is primarily speaking to the Jew. And he's showing Daniel what's going to be in the future for his people in the coming of their Messiah. And Jesus says in that, he says, after the gospel has preached to every nation, then the end will come. And he says, and when you see the desolation of the one who will be on the temple, which we know is the Antichrist, you'll know that the time is here and you can be looking for my coming. He said, do not be deceived. That's all coming from Daniel, Jesus himself telling us when the end will come. When we look today at this statue, the golden head represents Babylon. It represented King Nebuchadnezzar. You're going to see in a minute, we're going to look through it, his kingdom. And then the silver represented the next kingdom that came, the Medo-Persia. And it's got description, especially in chapter 7, the revelation of the four beasts that represent the four world powers. If you study history, world history tells you the same thing. There's only been four world empires so far. Babylon, the Medo-Persian, the Greece, and the Roman. The Roman Empire is the only one that wasn't defeated and took out by a military enemy. It killed itself. It just faded away. And it's still here in a way. And one day... The Roman Empire you're going to see, which is represented by the iron, is going to be a reunification. It's going to be brought back. And that's what those ten toes of the clay represent, we're going to see, which is those ten kingdoms, which are going to be when the one world government comes back to be, which is going to be led by you-know-who. But then that rock that's cut from the stone without hands, the Lord Jesus is going to come and he's going to crush that last world power, then he's going to be the king on earth. And you can study this out, and I just want you to think about this. The multi-metallic image of chapter 2, 
the four beasts of chapter 7 and the 70th weeks of chapter 9 are the backbone foundation of biblical end time prophecy. You take out Daniel, you can't figure out none of it. You don't understand David, you won't, un I mean Daniel, you won't understand. You might as well forget understanding revelations. See, God gave it to us in steps. And he gave it to us as we could take it and receive it. And he put it all together. And the person who will look to him, who will seek him, he will reveal secrets to you that will blow your mind. Jeremiah, one of my favorite Old Testament verses and prophets said in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call out to me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And if you are his and you want to know, he shows us, he teaches us, and he gives us. And as we begin to look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's interpretation, so what we're going to look at here and go through it this morning. You're going to see that it reveals something. The divine dream reveals the complete destiny of human government. The destiny was Nebuchadnezzar, the first world empire, the first world power. And from there, he's showing us the complete destiny of human power, destiny of human government. The next was the Medo-Persians. They took it by force. They, they defeated his grandson, Belchazer and destroyed his kingdom and took it. And then it was the silver represented them. The next one, as I told you, was Greece, which is represented by the bronze, and then Rome. But friends, as you look at this today, and I'll show you through it in teaching, you will see that there is a continual decline in human government. Gold is the greatest of all metals. It represents the head. The head is, runs everything. The head is the greatest. Head has got more honor and more glory than the feet. And the head was Nebuchadnezzar's government. There's never been a more effective and a more better government than a monarch government, a dictator. I know you don't want to believe that being an American, but that's the most effective. I ain't saying it's the best for us, but it's the best form of government in accomplishing what it's supposed to do. And then you see the next one. It was not a single ruler. It was a Multi, you had two kings. You had Darius, the king of Persia, and then you had Sirius, the king of... I have to look at my notes. <laughs> Sirius, king of Persia, Darius the Mede. And so you had two rulers. How many of you have figured out you can't have two chiefs in one tribe? That tribe will be worse off, it will be less effective, and it will get in more trouble when you got two chiefs than one good chief. And so you had two kings, so that made that kingdom weaker. Then you had Alexander the Great. That's the bronze. That one came in, Alexander the Great, in his 20s, conquered everything. Historians tell us, Herodias says that he conquered everything. There was nothing left in the world to conquer, so he wept because he didn't know what to do with his life. Well, he died. He caught an unexpected illness, and he died. And so his kingdom was divided to his four generals. And instead of being united together, his kingdom was divided up in four different sections. And then comes Rome through history, and Rome knocked him off one by time. Y'all heard of it, the Battle of Corinth, the battle of where Rome just took over. And then Rome became a world power. There's only been... Four world powers. There's been others try, Napoleon, but his was ended at Waterloo because it wasn't destiny of God for him to have a world power. A man named Hitler thought he'd have a third Reich that would last a thousand years. 
and he would create a Nazi world power, but God didn't let it happen. If you study history like I like to do, everybody says that there's no way we should have beat the Nazis and the Japanese. They had us outmanned. They had us with better material, better weapons, but God was on our side because you know why? Not because we're good, because his plan is going to be carried out. But friends, listen, the Roman Empire is going to have a renewal, a renewal. Those ten old European guard that was part of the Roman Empire is going to come back to power one day. And it's going to form another one world government that's going to be run by the beast who is empowered by the devil himself. And that's how you see it declining as you're going to look. The coming deadline of human government is what we're going to look at the end. I don't know about y'all, but that's what I'm looking for when Jesus comes back. But I want you to look with me here this morning as we go back. And there's another statue I want to show you. Oh, man, I done went to the wrong one. Right? Where in the world did it go? It was on there earlier. Uh-oh. We're missing some slides somehow. We'll get them back in a minute. Turn with me, though, to, that's why I got hand notes. Turn with me and look at 31. Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and I want you to look at it. And remember, Daniel, God showed him this dream. And it starts in verse 36. And he says, this is the dream, Nebuchadnezzar. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You owe, I'm sorry, wrong Verse 31, you, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. Is everyone there with me? I want to show us that image while we're reading this. Somehow, I looked at it a while ago. This was on here when we ran through it, but it's gone. There's a, there's... Another one of these missing. But we'll look at this one. All right. Bear with me a minute because this is important. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we just pray now that you'll get us back in the word, get us back focused on what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you look right here, that's the statue. That's what, that's what Nebuchadnezzar seen. And he's going to describe this statue with the gold head, the silver breast, the bronze midsection, and the iron legs. And you see right there that as history went through, they represented that. The iron clay in the feet represents the end times, the, the, the world power that will be in power of the world when Jesus comes back. And if you look here with me, as Nebuchadnezzar is waiting, and he begins to interpret and read the dream to him in chapter 2. Look with me in verse 28. I mean, verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. That's the image. Whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest in bronze of arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image 
on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And I want you to see what the, the, the stone, which is Jesus, done to the world governments. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now he tells him that, and then in verse 36 he says, this is the dream. That's what you dream. Now I want you to think about this. It's unbelievable because if he wouldn't have been able to interpret the dream, he was killing people because they couldn't. God gave him the ability to interpret this dream from the king. And he tells it to him exactly the way he's seen it. So now Nebuchadnezzar's listening, but not only is Nebuchadnezzar listening, you ought to be listening. Because only God could do this. And so now he says, here's the interpretation. And I want you to look at it. This is where we primarily want to preach from. Because this is where you get everything we want to know. He says, this is the interpretation, O king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beast of the field, and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you a ruler over them all. Everywhere. There was not a person living in the known world that wasn't under the authority of him. He could do anything he wanted. He was a monarch king. We don't know what that is in America. But friends, listen, he was king. He could do anything he wanted. And God had given the whole world into his hand. He was the most powerful kingdom of them all, if you think about it. Friends, let me tell you what a monarch king could do. Flip back with me to where this thing starts out. And look at what it says in chapter 2, verse 2. Then the king gave the command. That's what a king did. A monarch, he didn't have to go get permission from the senate. He didn't need permission from Congress, and he sure didn't need a nation to vote. He does anything he wants to do. That is the most effective and the most best way for government to work. It accomplishes exactly what government is supposed to do. It gets more done. It can do anything it can. The only problem is if you got a bad king, <laughs> he might be effective with his government. And a monarch kingdom is the highest form, the most proficient, and the greatest government in effectiveness out of all the human governments. One man telling everybody what to do. And listen what he could do. It says in verse 2, Then the king gave the command, and it says he called all the magicians and the astrologers, so they came and stood before the king. Friends, when he called, you came. And listen what it says in verse 5, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your house shall be made an ash heap. And there was nobody to get permission from. <laughs> he did whatever he wanted to do. He led his kingdom as he felt led to do. And friends, if you look here, look at what he says at the bottom of verse 6. However, if you tell me the dream, you shall receive me from gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They said there's no way we can do it. So look at verse 9. If you do not make known to me the dream, there is only one degree for you, exclamation point. And he began to kill him. Look down at verse 12. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious. He wasn't a good king. He was a pagan. He was, he was notoriously evil. And he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the degree went out. Friends, that's how government worked in a monarch kingdom. The next one that you see, the Bible says was inferior to the world power of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at what he says. 
Verse 39. But after you shall arise another kingdom that is inferior to yours, Nebuchadnezzar. And look at what he says. And after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. So friends, as you see right there, not only does the Bible say that there's a decline in human government, it's obvious that gold is more valuable and worth more than silver. So there is a greater worth and value on the first world kingdom. And the head is better than the chest. And friends, I'm going to tell you something. If you have any type of thing that is divided, you see they had Darius the Mede and they had Cyrus the Persian king, and they were both equal to the authority. And guess what? When you go read, they couldn't do whatever they want. You go read chapter 6, Darius was king, and Darius was tricked by the sad traps. That was another form of government that spread out power, that spread out authority and decision-making. That doesn't make government more effective. That makes government less effective. Look at America. Government is not an effective, our form of government is not effective right now, and I'm going to show you why. So what happened? They, he, he's told, they come tricked him. They said, oh, king, we want you to sign a degree that if anyone prays right now, he will be thrown into the den of lions. He loved Daniel. He signed a degree. Daniel went and prayed. They got Daniel, brought him before the king, said, king, he didn't listen to our degree. He didn't listen to what you said. And so now you've got to throw him into the lion's den. It says that the king, Darius, did everything he wanted to do not to let it happen, not to let them do what they had tricked him into doing. But he couldn't because he had signed the degree. It was the law. Go look at it. It's in chapter 6. The law of the Persians and the Medes. It was divided. Friends, listen. Today, most politicians who want to do right in America will never do right because their hands are so tied by all the corruption and all the different people who has control over it that it'll never get anything done. And what happens in Washington today is that nothing happens but a bunch of arguing and a bunch of fighting back and forth and they do no governing that is beneficial for the advancement of the kingdom of America. And friends, it gets worse. In the bronze kingdom, they come and they destroyed the Medo-Pede, the, the, the Persian and the Medes. And the bronze comes on. Bronze is a little less valuable than silver. It's a, it's a lot less valuable than gold. It's inferior. And it looked like a strong kingdom when they had Alexander the Great. And he marched the then known world and took over everything and conquered and took it all and had a government and a kingdom that was worldwide. There was nothing left to conquer. But then he died with a disease. And we're not sure what it was. Some people think he got pneumonia. But when he died, his four kings fought. So they each just claimed four sections of the kingdom, and the kingdom became divided by four. That didn't make it stronger. That made it weaker, and it was less effective. And instead of helping one another, when Rome began to come on the scene, they knocked off one of the generals. They said, hey, we don't care. That ain't me. They knocked off another one of the generals. We don't care. That ain't me. And then when they knocked the last one off, there was no more Greece. There was Rome. Then Rome took over. And I want you to see what it says about Rome. Is this not an accurate depiction of what we know about Rome and the history of the iron? You see, iron 
is much more stronger. It's much more durable than gold, silver, or bronze. Iron, and we heard of the Iron Legions of Rome and how the Iron Legions just went and destroyed everything in their path. Nobody could defeat Rome. Rome is the only one of the world empires was, that was not defeated by another world empire. You know how Rome was defeated? By Rome. They died by ineffective government, corrupt leadership, no morals to where it was so corrupted that it just fell apart. And it was all divided up amongst the Gentiles. And right now the Bible teaches that we are living in the time of the Gentiles, but the time of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. And friends, right now, Rome, if you look at iron, iron, as strong as it is, has something that's a great weakness to it. It's corrosive. It can be corrupted. It can rust. As strong as it is, if it's not maintained and taken care of, and it's not protected, it can rust to the point that it can be of no use and it can actually fall apart. Clay in the feet is not good for the iron. But the clay feet and the ten toes represent the ten kingdoms. And I'm going to show you this on Wednesday nights. A lot of this is going to get taught because I ain't got time to teach it all to you here. But on Wednesday nights, I'm going to show you that without a doubt, especially when you look at chapter 7 and the four beasts that represent the exact same kingdoms and the same thing that we're looking at here from the statue that those ten toes represent the ten kingdoms that are going to arise one day and they're not going to be America because they're going to be European from the Roman old guard and they're going to arise and they're going to reform and there's going to be a reunification of the old Roman empire and they're going to run and become what we all hear when you go look at um, revelations y'all all heard this that there's going to be a one world government that's going to have a one world currency and there's going to be a one world religion and it's all going to be run through these ten kings and the beast is going to take over the world as a dictator and once again there's going to be a world empire where human government runs everything from one place of authority and as you look right here look at what he says how eerily accurate this is in describing Rome the fourth kingdom when you get to that part, look at verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. No one ever beat Rome. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and the toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with the ceramic clay. That's going to be the reunified Roman Empire. It's going to be powerful, but it's going to be fragile because they're all going to fight. They're all not going to be unified. But look what's going to happen. See, that's what is the destiny and the continual decline. Let me see if I can get this thing to go backwards again. I hate this stuff when it don't work. The complete destiny of human government, he showed it all up to the day where we go see Jesus come back. The continual decline. How many of you realize human government's not getting better? 
Is it better? It's worse. See, when they first made America, it was very effective. It was really working really well. But a democracy, my friend, I know you're not going to like this, but I don't believe by a, for a second a democracy is the most effective form of government. The least effective. Because you've got everybody wanting to tell you what to do. Ask President Trump how effective it was. We had a president who wanted to do some right things, but he didn't get none of it done. He had a whole nation behind him that wanted those right things to be done. But you had a lot of people who had power and authority because of democracy. You see, when Jesus comes back, he ain't going to be a democracy. He's going to be exactly like Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the gold head. He's a monarch king. He ain't coming to get permission. He ain't going to ask for your vote. He ain't going to have a senate. He ain't going to have a council. He's going to do whatever he wants to do because he's king of kings and he's lord of lords. And he's going to run his world, his creation, the exact way he wants to run. And you might say, I don't like that form of government. I don't want Jesus to be that way. It don't really matter because he created us. He made us. He gave us life. He gave his life to save us so that he could redeem us. And when he comes back, my friend, he ain't coming to die on a cross. He's coming on a war horse to set up his kingdom, to sit on his throne and show this whole world that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the stone that's cut from the mountain without hands. He ain't made by man. He ain't of man. But he became a man when he was God so that he could save man. And he came and he did what he was supposed to do. And it blew the Old Testament prophets away. No one seen the cross. No one understood that we had a Messiah that was going to be a sacrifice sacrifice that was going to give his life on the cross of Calvary so that the world who would believe in him, who would trust in him, who would admit that human government can't govern itself because humans aren't able to do right. Humans aren't capable of governing themselves. We were created to be governed by him. And sin got in us. And now we want to be in control. We want to be in charge, so he's let us have a whole world history to show us that that's what happens when you're in control. I'm a firm believer the only reason it ain't been World War III is because we whooped them Nazis, but we bombed them Japanese. Imperial Japan. You know that they thought that their emperor, the divine emperor, was God. They worshipped him as God. They believed he was God. They thought they were serving God. That's what made them become kamikazes. And, but when that bomb got dropped, that atomic bomb, it changed the whole outlook of the world. The only reason Russia and China and America ain't fought is we know when we fight, that atomic bomb can be dropped. And as bad and as evil as it is, it's changed. And there's not going to be another world government, but there's going to be something worse than human government, than nuclear warfare. His name is King Jesus. And when he comes back, you think a nuclear bomb can't be defeated? Friends, when he comes back, he is the creator of the atom. <laughs> he is the creator of all power that we can make and manufacture and create from ourselves. He is the one. And friends, I want you to think about this. Look at what Daniel says when he comes back. This here is the coming deadline for human government, and it's close. Human government is as bad and as bad as it's ever been. It ain't going to get better. I'm here to tell you, according to this book, it's going to get worse. 
And friends, look at what he says right here in verse 44. And in the days of these kings, these ten kings that are running the world who are under the leadership of the Antichrist, and I'll show you that in some future sermons. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, praise Jesus, which will never be destroyed. Hallelujah. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It ain't going to be left to human control. Look at what he says right there. He says, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain and without hands, and that it was broken to pieces, the iron, Rome, the bronze, Alexander the Great, Greece, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to you, O king. What will come to pass? The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. I don't know about y'all, but I read this stuff and I get to thinking something. I'm sure glad I'm on Jesus' side. How about you? You know, people think we're idiots to believe this. But I think you're an idiot not to believe it if you'll look at it and study it. You know, we tend to think, and we don't like to look at America as a corrupted, handicapped, ineffective nation. That's what we've become. I don't know if you've ever heard this quote. It comes from John Adams. I'll read it again. I am so sorry. I'll just read it to you. It ain't that long, but I want you to see it. Does everybody know who John Adams is? He said, our Constitution, that's all we hear. The Constitution, the Constitution, the Constitution. The Constitution can't fix human government <laughs> because the Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. And it is wholly inadequate to govern any other kind of people. There was a day when there was a lot of religious, and when I say religious, I don't mean Buddhist, and I certainly don't mean cultists. I mean people who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who worshipped the God of the Bible, who had a right religion that made them right with God, that made them live moral for God, that showed them the holiness of God, and made them walk in the fear of the one who says he is a consuming fire. And they honored him. That was the kind of government that worked. But guys, if it works in a democracy, it'll work even better in a monarchy. Because I don't know if you know it, but our king is moral. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He doesn't make mistakes. He never has sinned and he never will be. He'll never fail. He'll do everything exactly the way it's supposed to be. I don't know about y'all, but the quicker America's gone and Jesus shows up, the better off I think we're going to be. And I know that ain't going to be popular, but that's biblical. And that's God's plan. I don't know what you're looking for, but I certainly ain't looking for 2024. I'm looking for Jesus to say, the gospel's been preached, Charlie, for the last place, and go get my church. Take them home. Son, get ready. I'm fixing to pour out my wrath on the Gentile nations and on the Jews for rejecting me. And the seven-year tribulation is going to happen. And during that seven-year tribulation, according to Daniel, the Antichrist is going to stand on the temple of Jerusalem when he has one world government, one world currency, mark of the beast or you don't survive, and one world religion. He's going to proclaim himself as God, the desolation of desecration, and everybody in the world is going to go along with it. Church is going to be gone, friends. And then he says the end will come. 
What's the end? The second coming of Christ. He comes back with his triumphal church that's been raptured, that's been in heaven for seven years or three and a half years, depending if you're mid-trib or pre-trib. I'm praying for pre-trib, and I'm pretty sure mid-trib will be good enough. But I'm hoping that we ain't got to be here for none of it. But guys, I'm here to tell you, you will be here when the birth pangs begin. When it's begin and we're seeing the birth pangs. The government is becoming more and more susceptible and more and more ready to receive the Antichrist and the reunification of this realm. It's all about the European Euro and the United Nations. They hate America because America is a threat to that and them being able to control things. And you could say, what's going to happen to America? I don't know for sure, but I can tell you what ain't about America. America is not mentioned at all in all of this. So what do we need to do? We need to put our hope not in America and put our hope in Jesus. Get in the church and stay in the church. And when I say that, I don't mean the church house. I mean the body of Christ. And so today, it's not something that just, oh, I want to get my fire insurance so I get to go to heaven and I don't go to hell, although that's important. But it's knowing you know Jesus. It's knowing that you're ready. He could come at any time. We're living in a generation that's more likely to see His rapture than ever before. We're in a world that is as bad as it's ever been. There's only going to be four world empires. There ain't going to be another one till the one we don't want to be in. And it's coming. The last world government, though, will be an eternal one. And it'll be Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I'd get saved today if I wasn't saved. I'd start living for Jesus and getting ready if I wasn't ready because he's coming, praise God. And friends, this ain't the kind of message a lot of people want to hear, but I believe it's the kind of message we need to hear that we need to be remembered for. I love that song he sings, Speak Jesus Over Your Family. When he was singing that song, I got full of the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden, man, I was sitting there and I could just catch myself, Lord, I speak Jesus over Luke. I speak Jesus over Haley. I speak Jesus over David Levi. I speak Jesus over Josiah. I speak Jesus over my grandkids. I speak Jesus right now while I'm singing. I'm praising. I don't know about y'all, but I'm speaking Jesus over my house, over my marriage. I spoke Jesus over you, this church, while we were singing. Friends, I want to tell you something. There's power in the name of Jesus. How much power? He's the stone cut from the rock that is coming back. And when he comes back, he will be in charge. And I don't know about y'all. I'm looking forward to that day. I could preach some more, but I better shut up. We're going to look at the Antichrist. That old Antichrist, oh man, he thinks, boy, the devil's always trying to take God's glory. But you can't. Because the glorious one, Jesus, is coming back. I hope today I build a little faith in you, put a little fire on you, gave you a little incentive to go live for Jesus. And I know we go over, but I'm going to tell you something. You can be gone, be left behind, and we'll be in heaven because we've been raptured, and you can be here 10 years, 20 years. You can be in here for 50 years. You ain't took one second off of how long you're going to be here. You'll be wishing you was in a church service that always goes over. <laughs> because I'm telling you, Jesus is coming, and his people ain't ready. We are all consumed with the world. Today, we need to be consumed with him. We're going to stand. Would you stand with me? Father in heaven, I preach. I did what you showed me. I teach. I taught. I studied all week. I thank you for, Lord, blessing my study, helping it all come together today. And I pray for the person out here this morning that's least ready. He don't think about you. He comes on church on Sunday. He's religious, but, Lord, he doesn't have a relationship. Lord, I pray for the one who 
if you was to come back right now, would get left behind. Lord, to the world that Daniel's describing, that'll be run and be under the control of a dictator who'll be the direct one who's under the control of Satan himself, the beast, the antichrist, the man of sin. Lord, today, I don't want any of my family, I don't want anybody ever to be left behind in that. I pray today if there's someone who's not in the church, part of the church, they're not truly saved, that, Lord, you'd save them. And I pray for those of us who need a church family, a place of accountability, a place to be strengthened, a place to be taught, that if they need a home where we can gather together until you come, to hold up the banner, to keep preaching the word, to keep telling people that you're coming. Yes, you died on the cross. Yes, you rose again. And if you did that, you're going to also do what you also said. You're coming back. So, Lord, right now, if there's a man who needs to be saved, help him walk this aisle. Help him say, I need Jesus. And if there's somebody who's wanting to make a decision, help him to make that decision now. In Jesus' name, amen.